For the following bonus episode, I interviewed David Darm, a chartered accountant from Adelaide who has worked with thousands of general practices around Australia to help make their businesses more efficient, more profitable, and most importantly, better for patients. Hi, David. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Felicity. Thanks for having me on board. So it seems like uh, from our chat last week um, that GPs often have a love-hate relationship with money. What's some of the psychology around money that you've encountered in your career that is creating a barrier to better business management? Um, Well, it's a really good question. It's the notion of making a profit, you know, connotates this idea that you're exploiting your patient for personal gain, which doesn't sit with the ethical soul of uh, many and most practitioners. So when an accountant comes in and says, well, you need to be making a higher or greater profit, it's not a good word to use. And, you know, the words that we use is sustainable uh, because profit tends to have, um, you know, a dirty word connotation to it. Um, to change that around, we need to really understand what profit means. And, and profit is no different to an employee asking for a higher wage. It's just that when you're self-employed, it's called a profit, or if you're working in a company, it's called a profit, or a trust, it's called a profit. It means the same thing. What does that mean? Well, it's the thing that you know puts food on the table, puts a roof over your head. It's something that's really important to understand because what I see the greatest problem in practice is, is a lack of financial literacy. And that's what's making a practice that is not sustainable, where workloads are not sustainable, because unless you know how your practice is actually financially performing, um, you can't, and you're you're actually measuring it, and you're actually understanding its impact on the operations of the practice, you can't make um, better decisions, safer decisions. You know, the important thing is to be working on your practice and not in your practice. If I look at, you know, my most successful clients in Australia, and, you know, I always talk about, you know, the four-day week, and that means, you know, four days seeing patients and on the fifth day really focusing on how the practice works, operates, how it communicates, its clinical governance, looking at its vision, its strategy, is it meeting its goals and objectives. Um, and what you find is you're actually able to do more with less um, and um, you're not wasting resources, time, you're not frustrating staff, you're you're starting to realise there's lower workload and error rates, you're not worried about has that particular matter been followed up. And it fundamentally gets down to understanding that, you know, you have to have good systems in place, then good training, and then just good um, ways of, you know, monitoring and improving, you know, every day. What are some of the steps that uh, you advise GPs to take um, in making their business more efficient and profitable? To run a successful practice, we say that the first thing you need to do is have a shared vision. So today you might be a practice that has two doctors and let's say you want to have, you know, in five years time, five doctors and you want to have multidisciplinary care. You need to be clearly articulating that quite simply. It can be on one page. It can be just some bullet points on what your practice looks like in the future because it's really important that that's what people come to at the end of the day, that's you want them to be excited to come to work. And unless everybody can seize that vision, um, they just think you're driving blindly. The second thing is, well, what are your strategic goals? Which basically means, what are the key how-to steps to, be, to actually making that vision come into reality? And, you know, it, you can't, Rome was never built in a day, so you really need to look at it and say, well, step one, what we need to do is, let's look at our finances, um, look at our business model. Can we really afford, you know, to build that, you know, second or third consulting room? Um, you know, can we afford 
to employ staff and have the right systems in place, that, you know, this is going to pay for itself and we don't have to keep always worrying about a government handout or a big pathology lease to make it work, okay? And you have to be really critical about it. And sometimes you do need to get some external advice. My biggest concern is um, we keep seeing what the other person's doing down the road and we don't really know what the numbers look like and we just suddenly leap and do what they're doing and that's probably not the smartest move. So being very clear about your business model, how it makes money on a continuous basis and, and that's with or without you know, government grants or funding is really, really important. Um, the second thing is, is asking yourself, okay, if that's what we want to provide, um, you know, is that what patients or doctors want? And this is the other thing, people don't really understand, um, you know, what do their customers want? Now, people don't like that word customers. Um, we call them patients and, and, and that's, and I agree that you need to um, use that language, but when practices ask who are our true customers, when I ask them, a lot of them don't realise when you're a practice owner, your customer is actually the doctor who you're charging, you know, a service fee or a management fee for. And it's basically that income is what keeps the doors open of the practice. And you're serving, you've actually got two masters. Uh, one is obviously the practitioner, if you're a practice owner, and you're there, you're acting like the landlord and they're the tenant. And then the other um, um, uh, person of interest is obviously the patient. So obviously if you can get the patients happy, you'll keep the practitioner happy. So it's very, very important to be very clear on who your customer is and not only what they want, but also what they need. And they're two different things and needs and wants aren't always the same. Um, ultimately, what you want to provide them is the best care possible. And to be successful, you need to be able to articulate that care to them and market to them why you are more better placed and, and uniquely placed than maybe others because you do have the capability, the capacity, and the you know the intellectual knowledge to actually provide them an excellent, high quality, and valuable service. I've heard from GPs uh, who are interested in owning their own general practice clinic that they feel like they lack the skills, um, particularly the business skills, to do that. Um, do you know how do, how do GPs go about learning those skills, um, sort of midway through their career when they're thinking about becoming a business owner? Um, look, the best way to learn those business skills is if you're currently working in a practice is say, look, I'd like to be involved in more clinical activity, non-clinical activities in the practice. And most practices would just welcome the idea and think, wow, this is great. I don't see many practices pushing back, but, you know, there will be some because they might fear control or you being a, a bit of a, you know, a busybody. Um, the, the reality is if you get into a practice who is very, very keen on, on practice ownership, you'll find they generally are quite open for you to be involved. And you've got to volunteer your time. I think in life, we think we've got to be paid for everything that we do. This is an investment in yourself. And only when you do that, do you really know that you're even ready to become an owner? Because being an owner, there's no certainty. One, sometimes you have a good year, sometimes you have a bad year. You have to get used to that. And as an owner, you have to be pretty selfless. You're the last person that eats. So, you know, the reality is if you have problems of volunteering your time to learn about non-clinical activities at your own practice, it, maybe the timing's not right for you. But those of you who've taken that step, um, good practices like with our clients, we basically run a governance program, which is two hours, two and a half hours, which gives them a very good overview of what's expected of an owner and a director. What's the relationship between the practice manager, the CEO to the board, et cetera. It's really important to understand what is called clinical and commercial governance in a practice, and it should have um, a, a very clear pathway and framework that explains to you, look, how do you go from being, let's say, registrar to owner 
um, and what are the key steps. So certainly um, you can have private providers that can show you that, or you can go to the Australian Institute of Company and Directors. Now those courses are kind of good, but they tend to be quite broad and they lack probably specific medical and clinical context that people are looking for, which has been a challenge. And they do take a lot more time and you know, you can be up for about eight to $10,000 for those sorts of courses. And a lot of people are going, look, I don't know if I'm ready to commit that far yet. Um, but that's certainly one element. Obviously the colleges, and the professional colleges have a number of courses and training programs as well. And reaching out to them and attending those sorts of seminars is the other way, as much as speaking to colleagues. But really to learn something, to be quite honest, um, you have to have skin in the game. Um, you do have to put some of your own money down to see whether you're even ready for it. And if you can't, you're probably not ready for that next step. And, you know, I suggest, you know, um, listening to podcasts like these, reading the newspapers, um, you know, uh, that relate to practice management. There's an association called the Australian Association of Practice Management. These are useful associations to maybe drop in, say hi, and and see what the back end of owning and running a practice may look like. Speaking to practice managers as well, that gives you that first feel. When you're ready to make that next decision, um, you will do it because you say, look, I like this practice's vision. I can say that, see that they've got business and good business and clinical systems, and I'm actually really ready to invest and buy into that particular practice. Now, a good practice, and our practice is all stuff to have an internal rate of return of 30% per annum, which means if you borrow it at 7%, it should pay for itself and the banks are happy. And the reality is a practice that can't demonstrate good numbers is probably a practice that needs a bit of work. Now, that doesn't mean it's a bad practice, but that might be a skill set that you bring in. And when you look at joining a practice, it's a bit like a, um, a football team. Um, you look for a board and you look at different people on that board and different people on that board have different types of specialty interests. Some are in finance, some are in you know, IT systems, some are in the clinical side of things. And how they work together and having their you know, monthly meetings and how they make their decisions and execute on them and measure the performance is what you need to really start looking for. And by actually doing that, um, it gives you a sense of confidence. Yes, I really do want to join that practice or yes, that practice needs some improvement and I can actually help them and, and bring those ideas to the table when how you know whether gonna, that's going to work or not, it's actually getting a reaction you know, from the practice. Yeah, we really love that idea. Or look, no, just stay in your spot. Uh, and pretty quickly you work out, number one, um, are you ready for practice ownership? Are you ready to encourage those debates and lead? And I think leadership's the key word here. And can you do it in a way that's quite diplomatic? And, um, you know, and sometimes you get, sometimes, you know, like I get feedback that, you know, there's this young doctor who suddenly thinks they're the CEO of the practice and they only own 10% of it. Um, look, that's fine. That enthusiasm's great, but it's really important for practice owners to nurture that enthusiasm in the right way. And why I go back to my first point, that this governance of how you run a practice, how decisions are made is quite important in setting the right tone, where it allows full and frank debate, and also for decisions to be clearly executed, where it doesn't become toxic, where it doesn't become an issue about age or personalities or lack of experience. Because I don't believe 
how young or how old you are makes a difference to whether you're a practice owner. I think a lot of it gets down to having the right attitude, having the right leadership, and having a really an open and transparent um, you know, practice board process when it comes to running a practice, and nobody can do it by themselves. It'll be a combination of the directors, the practice manager, external advisors, and it's how you work in lockstep as a team to, to execute on the vision is what makes the difference. And so in your experience, what sorts of GP practices do better than others? You know, a lot of people want to put labels on things. I think generally, I guess back to, you know, my original point there, it's about having the right attitude, a healthy attitude to um, what it means to run a sustainable and socially responsible practice. And I think the practices that do cross their T's and dot their I's and don't just think, oh, it's all too hard or this is too expensive or without really considering you know, or one of the implications if we don't get it right. I think those practices who tend to be a little bit cautious, not sceptical to the point of being negative that they don't do anything, don't make a decision, tend to do better. And I, I guess when I say that, when I think of the history of all the clients that we've had, and we've had clients that have made it to the BOW fastest 100 in Australia, um, and, and ones that a number of them have featured in the newspapers and in, in quite a number of practices of the year. Um, the one that's actually been, if you talk from a financial perspective, the most successful have actually been um, a female, all female owned uh, practices. And um, and there has been actually a bit of research actually around America as well on this particular issue that um, you know female owners do make um, uh, better financial managers of practices. And I guess the reason for that, uh, having worked with you know a number of them, is simply they're just more careful and they're more considered in what they do. And they're not, they're less about the transaction and the deal and they look at the relationships, um, you know, with the patients, with the community, with their suppliers, amongst their colleagues and their staff. And and some people might argue, oh, they're a bit slower, but, but that's why they're winning um, because they tend to have less problems. Great, well, thank you so much for all those insights. That's really interesting and um, I'm sure that'll give our listeners something to, to think about. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. A pleasure.